0: If you would go in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. I'm going to be in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. As you're turning there, well, what is family? What is family? How do we define family? A family, a place of love, community, acceptance in spite of us, care, a place that we can be heard and known intimately, a place of safety security, and so many other wonderful things. Some may have had that experience in this life, maybe you're experiencing that right now in your earthly family. Others of us may have had that experience at one point and, and now we're missing it. Some of us, uh, that's never been the case, it's, it's been a wish, a dream or a desire, but nothing that's ever been real or tangible. Whatever the case, we each inherently know that this is a joyous, good thing, and we each really want to be part of it and have it. If you would stand as we read God's word, we'll come back to that thought. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, now, Moses was faithful in all God's houses, a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Let me quickly pray for us. Father, thanks for your family. Thanks for giving us a family we, we, we long for that. We want that. Thank you for Christ who's brought us in. And Lord, delight our hearts with that today that we would even in light of that live differently in the world around us. We thank you for Jesus. We pray this all in his name. Amen. You may be seated. We have an author here. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is, but it's it's a Jewish author, it seems, since they they know the Old Testament very, very well. The entire book is littered with either direct quotations or small alliterations or paraphrases of of tons of the Old Testament. And it seems that it's written to a Jewish audience. Those who have been Jews and now have, have converted to Christianity but still have this Jewish heritage that they desire to hold to. And it's encouraging them to persevere in Christ, persevere in this new faith that has been made theirs. If you wanted a theme for the book of Hebrews, we've talked about this before, I, a theme, just staring at the sun, S-O-N, to see life clearly. We stare at Christ to understand how to live, how to do life. And in our breakdown, we talked about this section, chapter 1, 1 through chapter 4, 13. We're looking first at Christ as the Son, is the ultimate king the Son of God is the ultimate king, and, and thus he has both a better message and is a better message from God. And so that takes us into our text today. The main point of our text, your, your family found in Christ is better, is better than anything you've previously known. Your family in Christ, being in his family, is better than anything you've experienced in the past. In chapter 2, Uh, The author finishes there in verses 17 through 18. I'll quickly read those. Uh, He's talking about Jesus, and he's comparing Jesus with the angels, and he sort of concludes with this statement. Therefore, Christ, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted." And so the author closes, he's been talking uh, about Jesus being better than angels, angels who bring messages from God to us. And now he says Jesus is not just a better messenger from God to us, but he says Jesus is also a better high priest. He is one who brings us to God. And that leads to this question then, uh, what about Moses? This Jewish audience says, we've got someone who's done that. Moses represented God to us. In fact, God says you will be as, as God to Aaron, and Aaron will be as you to Pharaoh. We've got someone who represented God to us, and we've got someone who represented us to God. Remember, Moses is the one who cries out to God, and God's like, I'm just going to wipe them out. I'm done with them. I'll restart with you, Moses. And Moses is like, no, Lord, please, please show mercy. Moses represented them to God. So he said, we've got a guy that does that. How is Jesus so necessary? Why is Jesus so great? Why would he be so wonderful? Moses has done this for us. Moses filled these roles well. Can Jesus really do better? And so the author anticipating this moves into chapter 3. He starts, he says, therefore, he's saying, building on this idea, let me bring this more out, building on that, and he calls them holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling. We'll come back to that. He says, consider. He says, I want you to think about this, ponder this, think deeply about this. Don't, don't move quickly by this idea. Take note of this. Meditate on it. He says, fix your mind upon this. There's something really important I'm going to tell you. And so listen up, listen carefully, That's what he says. Don't make assumptions. Don't take this lightly. Don't gloss it over. He says, consider this, Jesus as the apostle and high priest says Jesus is the apostle, the messenger to, the messenger from God to us. He says, Jesus is the high priest, the intercessor for us to God. And so he's he's building this argument. He says, Moses did that. Jesus fills both these offices. He says, you didn't misunderstand me. I was saying this. I was clear about this. I want you to know for sure. Jesus, I'm saying he does both. He's going to be that. He says, consider this. Hold to these things. Jesus, this apostle, this high priest, he says, of our confession, he says, Jesus is the one who has brought us what we believe and hold to, the gospel. Jesus, as the apostle, brings us the gospel message. Jesus, as the high priest, is the one who keeps us acceptable, ever presenting us before God, holy and blameless. And so, so Christ is necessary for our confession, for our hope, for that which we believe, Christ is the only reason we have relationship with God. And because of that, we're able to be called holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling. He says, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're siblings. We're part of a family. He says, we're holy siblings, not just... Ordinary human siblings that have fights and conflicts, not that we don't in our human state here in our church and this world, but he says we're part of a heavenly family where we're built for more than this world. We're, we're not just in this world, in the mess of sin and all that's around us, but we're part of a heavenly family, something that is sanctified, perfect. He says we're partakers of a heavenly calling. He's brought us into something bigger than, than us, bigger than this life. He seems to be referring back to to chapter 2, verse 10, where Christ brings many sons to glory, of which we get to be part. So we get to be part of this family. We get to join the ranks of the heavenly family and the kingdom because of Christ. But that leads to this question then again. what, What about Moses? Weren't we able to be part of God's family through Moses? Didn't he do all this? And the author is going to take the rest of the passage to break down this this comparison of Jesus with Moses to two ways Jesus compares Moses and Jesus. And then he comes up with a response to two ways Jesus and Moses are compared. So why is Moses such a big deal? Why would Moses be such a big deal to this, this Jewish audience? Why would they care this much? Well, Moses represents everything these Jewish converts had ever known. He's the giver of their entire culture with the law, the temple, the sacrificial system, practices for everything from dealing with medical issues to what they choose to eat and how they spend their money. Their entire culture is formed around him. It was upon him, their families, their marketplaces, their, their social religious services, their livelihood, their family relationships, their friendships, their business interactions, their social engagements. Everything was built The entirety of their culture, all they'd grown up in, all they've known was based in Moses. To give him up is to give up everything. And so that brings us to our first point, Jesus and Moses. Jesus and how he is like Moses. The the author starts off gently and says there's a lot of things that Jesus and Moses are similar in. At first, he says that they both fulfill the roles of presenting God to man and man to God. They're they're both mediators. He's already talked about Jesus as the apostle and high priest. We talked about how Moses filled these roles. Here's what Galatians 3.19 says about Moses. It says, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels, and listen to this, by the agency of a mediator until a seed would come to whom the promise had been made. It says, Moses was a mediator, Jesus is a mediator. 1 Timothy 2 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Both serve this, this intercessional office. God presented to man, man presented it to God. Both were appointed. we see here in verse 2, he was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses was also in all his house. Both were appointed. Jesus, or Moses, with with the burning bush. Remember, Moses has has left. He's fled Egypt. He wants nothing to do with that. He's given up. He was like, I'm trying to lead, and now I'm not going to lead because I don't care anymore. They hate me. And he gets to this burning bush. God says, take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. And he has this conversation with God, and God says, Moses, I'm sending you. Exodus 3.10, so, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses has this whole conversation, ah, I don't know God, my tongue and all these things, and I'm not sure if I should do this, and what if they don't believe me? And God says, well, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Moses was appointed by God to be the savior for Israel, to bring them out of Egypt. Jesus has been appointed by God. Hebrews chapter 1, we read this earlier. In our study of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. We have this picture in Jesus' baptism. He, he goes into the water, John baptizes, and he comes up. And it says, the Spirit of God descending like a dove came to rest on him, and behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Or later in his ministry, we have the Transfiguration, where interestingly, he is visited with Moses and Elijah. And at the end of this, this time there, the disciples listening hear this, that a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my Son, my chosen one, listen to him. Both were appointed. And both were faithful. Moses set up the entire tabernacle and the priestly worship system of Israel being able to come to God. At the end of Exodus 40, having completed all this, it says, Thus Moses did according to all that Yahweh had commanded him, so he did. The littlest thing, the biggest thing. You read through Exodus and you see all the finite things and all that's supposed to be set up. The littlest tiny things that are supposed to go perfectly to make God's tabernacle perfect. Moses did it all. He was faithful. Everything that God told him, he did. Christ is faithful as well. Moses is faithful in so much that that when, when Miriam and Aaron, his, his biological siblings, they, they, they come and they challenge his authority, they challenge his leadership, and so God sort of calls them to the principal's office. Uh, you, you picture your kids, they're all fighting in there, and you're like, hey, guys, come in here. And Everyone's like, oh, no, we've done it, we're in trouble. The principal, uh, could you please come down to the office, uh, and you walk in there, and, and God Talks to Moses very kindly, but Miriam and Aaron very harshly. This is what he says Numbers 12, 6 through 8. Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, Yahweh, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of Yahweh. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, Moses? Miriam and Aaron like, that was not comfortable. Moses was faithful in all God's household. That's actually the passage that the author of Hebrews draws from here, it seems, that Numbers 12 passage. Moses was faithful, completely and it leads to this question then too of if it was such a danger for Miriam, she has leprosy after this. If it was such a danger to challenge Moses and his authority, we'd better be really careful going on in this if we're gonna put Jesus in comparison with him. Jesus is faithful as well. John six thirty eight. for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 8, 29, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. You think of Jesus in the garden. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then at the end of the Gospel of John, after this, Jesus, knowing all these things were now accomplished, the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst the vessels given to him. When Jesus received it, he said, it is finished. To the very end, Jesus, faithful to the Father and what he would have him do. But then the author switches. He says, Jesus, Moses, they're similar. They have these similarities. But he says, it cannot continue in that either. Jesus is is better than Moses. In, in verse three, he says, for he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. He's not saying Moses wasn't great, Moses was a faithful servant, Moses was good, but Jesus is, is better. Moses was good. Jesus is better. And he gives four reasons why Jesus is better than Moses here. First, Moses was a small part of, of God's eternal plan that is centered in Christ. Moses is a small part of God's eternal plan that is centered in Christ. He he talks about this in in the end of verse 3 and verse 4. Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. The author here uses this play on words. The word "house." There, you can see this in Second Samuel seven, where God, uh, David, wants to build a temple, a house for God, and God says, "No, David, you can't do that. Your son's going to do that, but I'll build a house for you." He says, "I'm going to give you a, an eternal lineage." Everyone of your, your descendants will be on the throne. You will never lack a descendant on the throne. And so there's this, this double play in the word house, both talking about a building here in verse 3, but talking about a family, a household throughout the rest of the passage. And He says, the house is a small thing compared to the one who built it. It only is as good as the builder. It only reflects the workmanship of the one who's put the work in us. And God is the builder of all things. Moses is a small part in God's eternal plan. The law Moses brought was all about Jesus. John 1.17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.24, therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Christ has always been God's plan from before time began. Moses is a small part of that picture. We're at Revelation eight thirteen, the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. Or Ephesians 1, 3-4, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. That we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Mo- Moses is a little blip on an eternal timeline of God's redemptive plan that's all been centered in Christ. Second, Mo- Moses was a type or a picture of Jesus. We see this in verse 5. Now, Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. Moses is this picture. Jesus is foretold of by him. John 5, 46 says, Jesus is saying, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he, he wrote about me. Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen, Moses writes, Yahweh your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, you shall listen to him. Peter builds on this in Acts 3. He says this prophet that Moses is talking about is Jesus, the coming one, the Messiah. Jesus is foreshadowed in Moses' ministry. You think of Moses when he strikes the rock the first time. 1 Corinthians 10 says, The rock that Moses struck, that Israel drank from, was a picture of Christ, the one who gives continual life-giving water for us. Or the serpent on the stick in Numbers where you have Israel disobeying and God sends the fiery serpents to bite and kill them. And Moses raises up a staff with a bronze it, and they look to it to live. And Jesus then in John 3 picks up on this and he says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Or how about freeing them from slavery in Egypt? this picture that's given of Christ freeing us from the slavery of sin and death, just back at chapter Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. The Passover, God's provision and protection from the death of the firstborn, as part of the Mosaic covenant, we have Jesus celebrate the Passover and change it into the new covenant, the picture that we have that we celebrated this morning with the blood and the bread, these representations of, of Christ, the, the blood in the cup, or the, the, the bread in the cup representing his body and blood. We read 1 Corinthians 11, where it says, For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. We just read what we just did, communion. When he given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body. This this bread that was the bread that they were supposed to eat at Passover was a bigger picture of him. Then he, in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This this cup that they drank at Passover, as they're getting ready to flee from Egypt, God's provision was a bigger picture of the blood of one who would come, the ultimate. Provision for man. Moses gave the law. Jesus fulfills the law. Do we not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets? I did not come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them, Jesus says. Moses built the tabernacle, but John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. And the tabernacle, this precursor to the temple, we see in John two. Jesus became the temple for us. He says, "Destroy this temple, not that building, but this temple." And in three days, I will rise again. You think of Moses, his face shining. Exodus thirty four. He goes up on the mountain, meets with God sees God, and he comes down, and he's sort of surprised. All the Israelites are like, whoa, and they're scared of him, and he's like, what's going on? And he realizes his face is shining from being in the presence of God, and yet Jesus is God's very presence among us. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. Or John 1.18, no one has ever seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is from the bosom of the Father. He's explained him. He's shown him to us. Or at the very start of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. How many of you kids, raise your hands, if you have something that glows in the dark, some, some sort of toy or object, or maybe you adults are like, yeah, I still have one of those, or I remember that. So, so we had this glow-in-the-dark uh, astronomy-type thing. So you had stars and planets and all sorts of stuff out there, and you'd stick them, at least we stuck them on the ceiling in our bedroom, and you'd stick them up there, you'd have the light on in the room all day, and then at nighttime you'd turn it off, and they glowed. And then if you really wanted to make them glow, you, when your parents weren't paying attention, you took the lamp that was on the side there, and you stuck it up really close to one of those glow-in-the-dark things, and you held it there for just a little bit, and you shut it off really fast, let it really dark, and that thing was like mega bright, shining out, saying... Moses is like the little glow-in-the-dark thing. Yeah, he's bright. It looks cool and awesome. But he's not the light. The Christ, the light, the one who gives the ability for this, this glow-in-the-dark to even reflect it all is Christ. Here he is among us. Third, Moses is only the servant of the son king. The whole point of the kingdom is about the king. To fixate or focus on or exalt a servant of the king above the king himself would be the ultimate act of foolishness at minimum and treasonous. Moses would would have been horrified at this. God finds this unacceptable to exalt the servant above the king. And number four, while Moses introduces us to the house, Jesus makes us part of the family. It seems to reference back to chapter 2, verses 10 through 14, where Christ has brought us into the family of God. Ephesians 1, 20 through 23 says, God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, and then, in Ephesians 2.6, he says this, after having raised up Christ, he says, and we've been raised up with him, and he's seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. We get to have this throne room and join the family of God. Only Christ could adopt us in the family and make us sons and daughters of the king, something Moses as the servant could never do. He introduced us to the house. Christ adopts us in the family. Which leads to our third point, the believer's response. He says at the end of verse 6, if we hold fast. Why would it be so hard to hold fast? What's going on in the audience that would lead them to to make this an if-even Question. Moses represents, we talked about this, everything that the Jewish convert had known in their culture. To to subordinate Moses to Christ means to effectively reject and be rejected by their culture. It means the possible loss of relationships with those around them, even their already biological family. The loss of prestige and places of prominence they once had in their community. The the loss of, of wealth and many earthly possessions because they've been taken or destroyed or opportunities have been removed it means the loss of freedom. They might be sent to jail or unable to act or interact in ways that they used to. It means the loss of their voice, their ability to interact in the social sphere. It means the loss of their rights, their things, their speaking, their livelihood, their ability to defend themselves. It might even mean the loss of their life. They lose all of this. That's a lot of loss. And to hold to Moses offers quite a lot relationally. How do you just give that up? Even if Jesus is better. And it comes from rejoicing. It comes from seeing that there is a family we are part of. There is a culture and a kingdom and a home that we have, that we've been brought into by Christ, better than all that we've known. Better than this culture, better than that acceptance. Christ offers a better kingdom, a better family, not just a home, but, but sonship, daughtership of the king. This, this home, this household. It's one of the big points the, the author makes. He repeats this phrase over and over and over, talking about this house that we've been brought into. We are siblings in the family with Christ. We have a heavenly home and a family that can never be lost. We have a community, friendships, love, fellowship, siblings, care and the chance to care for one another. When every other relationship outside of Christ crumbles, they still have Christ. They still have his family in him. And because of this, the author says, "Hold fast. Hold the course, the pictures of a ship and having set a direction, and the waves would seek to push it off course, and the wind would blow it off course and It's say, like, stay the course, hold fast, stay on point, focus and follow through. Keep going. He says, Hold fast what? Well, your confidence. It's a boldness, it's a willingness to speak out and not hold back truth. Hold fast, be willing to share. It says, hold fast to this, this boast of our hope we boasting in our hope, glorying in what Christ has done for us, rejoicing both privately and publicly how God has saved us in Christ and who he's made us to be and how he's brought us to himself. The author is saying, don't be quiet. Don't be afraid of the hard things, of rejection, of your culture, those around you. Continue on. Persevere. Keep rejoicing in Christ. Keep telling others about him. Don't hold back. Do so knowing that whatever or whomever you may lose, Christ has given you back a hundredfold in this new family. In the same way Jesus outshines any of the best things of the audience's earthly culture, he offers that same hope for us, same family, same home, even while we might be rejected by our own culture. We too have that hope, even though we may be pushed away by relationships by family, by friendships. He is still better. We have more and a better home and a better family. In this era where we have cancel culture, we want to be liked. We, we don't want to be an outcast for our views. We hold the things different than our world. We, we define sin differently. We, we have views on abortion and human sexuality and what is truly valuable, and that's not popular. We're told you, you can be a Christian just as long as you keep it to yourself. We're tempted just to be like this Jewish audience. Let me just go to my culture. We, we have a number of bad responses that if you're like me, you might fall into. We, we might give in. We just take on the world's view. Well, this isn't that bad. My, my feelings or desires really want this anyway. You know, I don't think God really meant what he was saying there. I, th- I think the Bible could be interpreted differently about that. We give in or, or we give up. We just, we just check out. We just ignore everything and everyone. You keep your head down. You do your work. You don't, don't talk about anything. You, you try not to, to rock the boat. Just hold out for times when you can connect with people that you're close to or, or maybe you don't even have anybody close to you. Just, just hunker down and be by yourself and, and sort of hold it in. Feel safe. Or we get angry, we go on the offense of attacking others who would have different views than us. We, we either ignore them or we seek them out to, to, to try to push their buttons. Or we go on tirades on social media or how bad things are. Or we assume those in the world are naturally our enemy instead of seeing them as lost. The right response here is to remember you have a family. You have a heavenly father who loves you. You have a brother who died to bring you into this community in Christ. You have this older brother in Christ who desires to have more siblings as you faithfully go out sharing your faith with others. And so he says, Hold fast your confidence and the boast of your hope. Live faithfully. Love God. Rejoice in the good he has done for you. Love others. Live out Christ before them. Speak boldly to your family in the church. Come take part in the body. Get, get plugged in. Find a place to serve. Connect to a care group. Grow in these family relationships. And then reach out to others. Seek to bring others into this family. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. That was me. That was us. Hold that hope out to a culture around you, needing life, longing for true family. You have a family better than anyone you've ever known, anything you could have ever dreamed of. Christ has brought us in there. Let that excite your heart and move you to hope. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for Jesus who would bring us into your family. We thank you that you would so kindly plan toward drawing us to yourself, that we have something better in Christ, better than Moses, better than the culture around us. Even though we may be rejected and, and lose a great deal, we have something better we gain in Christ, in this family, in this kingdom hope that we have. And so, Lord, let us rejoice. Let us live in light of that, in light of our family that Christ has brought us into. We pray this all because of him. Amen.